Hello, story lovers. I'm Laurel McCarg, host of Alligator Preserves, and in today's episode, you're going to meet Helen Starbuck, author of a romantic suspense mystery series. We're going to talk about her first novel, The Mad Hatter's Son, and a little bit about her second, No Pity in Death. And I heard there's a third one right on the horizon. But first, I need to apologize. I actually interviewed Helen back in November of 2018, last year. So some of this information might be a little bit old, but not really, because she's got some incredible tips and information. This is an information-packed episode. And for some reason, also my end was a little bit, I don't know, the sound wasn't as great as it should have been, but you can hear her answers perfectly clearly. So do stay tuned for this info-packed interview with Helen Starbuck. Welcome to Alligator Preserves, a weekly podcast about revealing yourself through storytelling, story reading, and story writing, but probably not story arithmetic because that's not a thing. You just might surprise yourself with the secrets you'll uncover. Welcome, Helen. Thank you. I appreciate you coming to get me and talk to me. <laughs> this is always my pleasure. Um, Helen, let's start with the pen name. Why did you choose to use a pen name for your books? And I'll, I'll tell you the titles well, of those books in just a minute. It's a, it's a, an amusing story. My, that is, Starbuck is my maiden name. And when I first wrote this book, my younger sister said she would, as she put it, I will strangle you if you publish this under your ex-husband's name. So I said, okay then. <laughs> oh my, that, that's a great story. And that's a good yeah. reason to use the name Starbuck. It is. Most people, <laughs> most people go, oh yeah, that's easy to remember. It is. So you are the author of two books now. Your yes. first book. The Mad Hatter's Son yes. recently won an award, and you found out about this award, award in kind of a funny way. It's called the National Indie Excellence Award for Mystery. Tell me about that award and how you found out about it. Well, I entered this book in several contests. I entered it in the Colorado Independent Publishers Association Eddie Award Contest, uh, which it won a more merit award for. And I had a list of contests that I entered it in and then promptly forgot about. And uh, I, several weeks ago, got an email from Writer's Digest to say that, thank you for submitting your book. We were overwhelmed with submissions and you didn't win this year, but, you know, blah, blah, blah. Keep trying. Yeah. yeah. And my first thought was, I don't remember entering this contest. So I ratted around until I found the list of contest that I had entered and thought, well, huh, I haven't heard from these Indie Excellence Award people. Maybe I should go check this out. So I went online to their website and uh, it looked like they had already made their decisions and there was a list of winners. So I went on that page and about swallowed my tongue when I saw my book on the page for the mystery category. And I thought, oh, this can't be right. They would have contacted me. Well, I think what happened was that their contact email went into my spam folder. Now, I'm just guessing. Um, 
And then it got my uh, Gmail deletes after 30 days. And I don't usually check spam unless I'm expecting something and it doesn't show up. And needless to say, I had forgotten about both these contests. Um, so I contacted them just to double check. And they go, oh, no, you won. And we sent you a notification. I'm so sorry you didn't get it. And I said, well, I don't think it's your fault. <laughs> but, yeah, so I was, I was very um, stunned and thrilled to discover that I had actually won it. It's a good thing that Writer's Digest contacted me to tell me I hadn't won anything, or I still wouldn't know about the first award. Well, congratulations on that award for The Mad Hatter's yeah. Son. It Thank was you. a very fun read. I read that one. And now I am three-quarters of the way yeah. through No nope. Pity and Death, which yes. is your second novel. Yes. Yes. And I can't wait to see how this one ends. We talked a little bit before about your first book mm-hmm. and, and how some people figured out the who did it in, yes. in the first book yes. uh, a little bit early on, which I did as well. But I think, as I mentioned to you, it didn't stop me from wanting to get to the end of the book to see how, yes. how did it. That's what a friend said. She said, well, this is more of a how did it than who did it. And I thought, well, yeah, that's that's a pretty decent description. Yes. And so I haven't figured this one out yet. And (laughs) I'm anxiously awaiting getting to the end. Not anxiously. Like I said, I'm enjoying it. I'm going to ask you the same question that I asked Jerry Fabianic when I talked to him about his book. How much of the main character, Annie, is you. I have friends who say it's me dead on. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, there's a lot of me in Annie. I think she's a lot more adventurous than I typically am. I think we both have the same curiosity and to some extent the same stubbornness. But I just think she's more willing to go out on a limb than I probably am in real life. You know, I probably wouldn't have done some of the things she did in the first book. I would have been like, yeah, that probably is a good idea, but I'm not going to do it. (laughs) So So, she's maybe your alter ego? I think so. Yeah, I think so. She has my same sense of humor, I think. And, and of course, she's an OR nurse, and that's what I practiced professionally as until a few years ago. So we share that. Yeah, I, I think I think fondly of her. She's, she's my girl. <laughs> Did you play nurse as a, as a kid growing up no. or doctor? No, I never no? be a nurse. <laughs> really? What my, did you think you were going to be when you were little? Well, I went for two years to CSU in an art major. I like to paint and I like to draw. And at that point in time, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I went up in an art major and then discovered that while I have some talent, I certainly couldn't feed myself <laughs> with an art major. And my grandmother was a nurse and owned and ran a nursing home. My mother is a nurse. And so I thought, well, heck, <laughs> it's, it's familiar territory. And I'll always have a job because there are always people that need nurses. And so that's kind of how I get into nursing. And I think having grown up in a family like that, it came very easily to me. So it was never, it never felt terribly difficult. Now, I will say that 
one of the reasons I ended up in the operating room is I'm I'm not I'm not a typical bedside nurse. So I love the OR because it's um, structured, it's organized. People come in, they have their surgery, and they go. And so I get to see all sorts of fun things, do all sorts of fun things. But then I don't I don't have to take care of people after surgery. So it works. Okay. For me. <laughs> Sounds like it. Tell me what you might have learned after writing your first book that helped you with the second book. One thing I learned, you know, they jokingly say it takes a village to raise children. Well, it takes a really big village to help you get a book published. I learned the incredible value of a good editor, someone who's willing to go, wait a minute, wait a minute, where are you going with this? And do you want to do a shout out to your editor? I do. Her name's Theodora Bryant, and she specializes in mysteries. She's always loved them, and she keeps me on the straight and narrow. And I, she's got a great sense of humor, and conversations with her are always a lot of fun. And she's not at all afraid to call me on things that just don't work. <laughs> so, you know, it, she's been an amazing help. And I learned that there are all sorts of things about getting books published that I had no idea. Like what? Well, all the, what I guess maybe you would say is minutia, but it's not really, it's like getting ISBN numbers, registering it with the Library of Congress, you know, all these things that you really, I mean, you know, you see barcodes on books and, and you see ISBNs and you, I never really gave them much thought, but right. you, know, you, you have to do all this. You can't just throw it out there and not have it. So I have, I think the most valuable thing about the whole process has been the number of really great people I've met. You know, Jerry Fabianic's one of them. Hey, Jerry, we're talking about you. <laughs> we are. Um, plus a number of other people. And so that's, I guess it ceases to become such a solitary activity. It's not just you sitting in front of your laptop or scribbling on a pad of paper. You've got this huge community out there that you need that supports you and cheers you on and pats you on the back and then, you know, knocks on your head and goes, wait a minute, you're off in the weeds again. So that's been wonderful. I, it's been a very enjoyable part. Was, was the second book harder to write or, or easier? It actually felt harder. The first book was based loosely, it's not about the patient, but on a young woman I took care of years ago when I worked at Children's. And so I knew what the problem was. I knew how that was going to manifest and I knew how it was going to resolve. The second book, I had, it, it, I had to kind of feel my way through it. And there, there were times when I remember talking to my editor and going, I'm beginning to hate this book. <laughs> oh, no. What is, it, what is it about the book that you began to hate? Because from my perspective, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a faster read. And, and maybe that was because of your editors. Well, I think, you know, I, I think there was that. It went faster in some ways, but there was part of me that just kept thinking, I guess I didn't feel as comfortable with it as I did the first book. It's interesting. 
I can't really put my finger on it because my editor and I talked about this and she said, well, what is it you don't like? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> but I finally got it. We talked and we made a few changes and I finally got to where I really like it. But boy, it was a struggle. Well, I'm really liking it, but I have to ask you this question. What's up with Diet Coke? Have they have they sponsored you for this book? No, they haven't. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. It's a favorite drink of mine, so who knows? Maybe As a nurse, else. diet sodas? I don't know. I don't know about those. Well, if you, you know, I shouldn't say this, but if you look around, nurses are oftentimes not very healthy people. <laughs> yeah, so maybe one of these days if Coca-Cola reads my book, they'll go, whoo, this is a good plug. We'll talk about marketing uh, in a little bit. To my listeners and viewers out there, we are visiting with Helen Starbuck, author of the award-winning The Mad Hatter's Son and her latest book, No Pity in Death. These are mystery, how would you describe them? They're definitely mystery thrillers. Some romantic suspense, I suppose. Romantic suspense, thrillers, mysteries, uh-huh. It really has a little bit of everything. Well, and I kind of like to warn people they're kind of medical mysteries, although they're not totally. Um, but I also like to, to say to people, there's nothing that's going to really gross you out. So <laughs> No, no, and I found that, and uh, that's a great segue into my next question. Tell me about your personal experience with things like PTSD and police work. Did you have to do a lot of research? Do you have police officer friends? I mean, you've got a lot of uh, well, information in there that's very technical and real and and readable, very readable. Well, thank you. Well, my master's degree is in counseling psychology. And one of my biggest frustrations with movies and television and books is where main characters get really hurt. And then two seconds later, they're up running around. You know, they get an incredible whack on the head and they're not dizzy, they're not seeing double, they're not sick to their stomach, you know, that kind of thing. And while I didn't want to harp on it too much, I wanted to portray the consequences of something really terrifying and and life-disrupting happening to a character and having that character not just walk away from it and everything be fine. So... While I personally have never experienced PCSD, I know about it, and I know a couple of people who have. Um, and as far as the police work, I was very fortunate. A good friend of mine, her cousin, is a retired homicide detective. And so when I have questions about how far off in the weeds I'm getting with police stuff, I can, I can call Joe up and go, okay, now if, if I did this... And then I will always get the, no, you, that one happened. <laughs> we, we had a very amusing uh, conversation a few months back about a prisoner escaping. And he went through what all, and I said, well, I really don't, I really don't want two guards. I don't want, how about just a guard outside the door? And he's like, no, there'd be a guard inside too. But how, no, there'd be a guard inside. <sighs> and I finally just yeah, said, don't, okay. I was okay. going to don't give away, don't give away the ending. Well, I'm not going to, but he's, you know, they're very black and white and they're very literal and very linear. And so, so there are times when I have to kind of cave to that. And then there are other times when I go, well, heck, it's a, it's a book. I'm just going to do what I want here. Um, So far he hasn't run screaming out of the room when he read, when he read the first one. So hopefully the second one won't upset him. 
Well, I, I really like how you developed the relationship between Annie and Frost, the, the police detective. I think that was yeah, really Yeah, I, I like Frost. He's, he kind of is Annie's sort of father figure. Um, her parents are dead, and he's, he's very reluctantly come to like her and enjoy her and not see her as a major pain. A little bit. A little, little bit of a pain. A little bit still. A, little bit a, still. a lieutenant pain. <laughs> not a yeah, <laughs> exactly. But, yeah, he's a good guy. I, I like him. In fact, I, they're, I like most of the characters. You know, even the bad guys I like. You know, I think you have to have some affinity for your characters. I'm not sure about Ian. <laughs> and is there a, an Ian in your life? Did you, did you know an Ian? No, thank God. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, you, you do, I think all of us over time know people who have tendencies in that direction that are good at getting what they want from you and from other people. And I think that there's always a backstory to those people. You know, I think there's some pathology that is there from day one, but I think there's always some fascinating backstory about the environment in which they grew up, the choices they made, and the consequences of those choices. Consequences for me in all the books, including the one that'll come third, is like a big theme for me. Even when you don't make a decision, you're making a decision. And your life can, you know, take very different paths depending on what you do or don't do. So talking of- talking about decisions, are you a planner or a pantser when you write? You know, I'm kind of a I'm kind of a pantser who then has to go back and plot things out after I've gotten through writing all sorts of stuff. Stories just sort of come to me. And so I just jump in and start writing. And then I usually get to a point where I get stuck. And then I have to sit down and I have to go back and I have to write it all out. And I have to think about well, where the heck are you going with this? And then try to figure out how to get there. So I guess I'm kind of a hybrid, I'm a little bit of both. I used to work as a clinical editor for a nursing journal, an operating room nursing journal. And I used to tell authors that I worked with, I used to say, well, because they would always say, should I make an outline? And it's like, well, I guess it's how you work. You know, are you an outline kind of person? Because if you are, then go for it. And that'll keep, and, and if you're not, then just write. And then you have to sit down and you have to try and figure out where the holes are and try to fill those. And I guess that's what I am. I, write and then try to fill holes right right my interview with annalisa parent about pantsing and all yeah. that we we met her at the Colorado independent publishers association yeah. meeting as well um that's where i met you we'll yes. talk about sepa in a minute but uh yeah the idea of planning and pantsing either either knowing exactly where your book's going what's going to happen in each chapter in each scene you know having it all written out that's one way of going with it or a pantsing writing by the seat of your pants where you just yes. are surprised by each new thing that comes up. I'm pretty much a hybrid too. I'm more of a pantser than a planner, but when you write one book, then you pretty much have to do some planning for the follow-ons because yeah, you have you to do. remember what you've written. <laughs> you do. And you know, it's, it's fun for me and it's kind of, I, I don't know. I hear some people talk about it, but I have found I can have plans for a character and then the character kind of decides that they're not done. I mean, that kind of happened with Frost. I sort of thought he'd 
he'd be there, he'd be the detective, and then, you know, he'd disappear. And it was kind of like, no, I'm not going anywhere. And so I think that's part of the pantsing in a way. You know, you're open to letting your subconscious talk to you about what's going on. Well, I'm glad you didn't get rid of him because he's a great character. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't either. I got to like him more and more. That's partially why I stayed too. And I think that happens too. So writers out there, when you're working on your secondary characters, yes, don't dismiss them. Sometimes they, they can become as important as your main characters. Oh, yeah. 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 So let's talk a little bit about marketing. Um, as an indie author, what types of marketing strategies have you pursued? Well, I tell people that writing the books are easy. Marketing them is the really hard work. So I have got a website that I keep updated pretty regularly. And what's that website? It's uh, www.helenstarbuck.com. I'll have links to all the things we talk about. Thank you. I'm on Facebook under Helen S. Starbuck. So there's an extra S in there. And I keep people up to date and, you know, get into conversations with other authors and, and fans. I have, like I said, entered contests, not necessarily remembered. And, you know, I've, I think it's been very helpful to, to be members of the various associations here in town. You know, Colorado Independent Publishers Association is a good one. I've gotten a lot of help from there. Uh, that's how my book got accepted into the tattered cover was based on a presentation that was given by Len Blahos, the owner of the tattered cover, about how to get your indie books into the tattered cover. And met uh, Mary Walewski, who is owner of Buy the Book Marketing. She's helped me a lot. Have been interviewed by Jerry Fabianic on his uh, radio show and by you. <laughs> and then I try to get out to a bunch of book fairs. I was at uh, Jerry's uh, Big Corn Book Nook last Christmas. That was a lot of fun. Met a lot of nice people. Met a lot of really great readers and had nice conversations with them and, and didn't do badly with sales. I was just this last weekend at the uh, Colorado Authors League's Christmas Co-op and did surprisingly well. I, I was the first year I'd done that, but it's they're fun things. You don't necessarily... Well, as somebody said years ago, if you get into this to make money, you're in the wrong profession. <laughs> but the book fairs, you don't necessarily make a ton of money, but you do get to meet readers and you get to meet other authors. And uh, I think from that standpoint, it's really valuable. And you get your book out there. Are there any, any marketing strategies you would avoid in the future or, or recommend to up-and-coming authors not to bother with? Well, I think it depends. Now, I have a friend, uh, Kate Janiska, who's probably mid-30s would be my guest, and she's very tech-savvy, so she's on Twitter a lot. That hasn't worked really well for me. I mean, I'm on it, and I post stuff, but I think I probably wouldn't worry as much for me about Twitter, although I do know some people it seems to work really well for us. So, I think it's an individual sort of thing. One thing I do think that is really important is to have a website that people can connect with you and can see what you're doing, see what's up there, see what your plans are. Um, I also do a newsletter. I have a 
sign up on my website where people can put their email in and can always unsubscribe if they decide they don't want to get it anymore. But the website's been been worthwhile and the Facebook has done well. So so what you're saying is there's no silver bullet to to overnight success. I don't I don't think so. I think it's whatever you find works the best for you and whatever and of course the key to it all is what are you willing to put your time in to do? I mean if Twitter could be fantastic, I may just not know how to use it and other people may find it much more helpful than I have. So I think it just depends on what you're comfortable with and uh, what works for you. It's not going to work for everybody. All right. What's the scariest thing that's ever happened to you? Oh, boy. <laughs> if you're willing to. Well, I'd have to think about that for a second. I think, the, I think the scariest thing in terms of the writing was actually sending the first manuscript to my editor and thinking, oh, my God, what is she going to think of this? She's going to think I'm an idiot, you know. <laughs> and it's been very scary for me up until uh, probably the last maybe year or so, being able to say I'm an author or I'm a writer instead of sort of humming and hawing around about it. It takes a while to get comfortable with that and – and to get comfortable with feedback people give you in person. Somebody said, uh, I saw it on Facebook the other day, somebody said the phrase that strikes terror into an author's heart is the phrase, so I read your book, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, I can relate to that because you're never quite sure what they're going to say. So those are scary points for me. They are. Once you put your book out there, your book belongs to the world. It doesn't belong to you anymore. It does. And it's, but it's still your baby. It's kind of like your children. You know, they grow up, they go out in the world to make their way, but they're still your babies. And the book is, the books are still my babies. And so it's kind of like you wear your heart on your shirt sleeve. But, um, but I have found that even generally speaking, reviews have been really good. The two reviews on Amazon that were not good were still really helpful. So I don't think there's really a downside even to a negative review. And as a friend tells me, keeps telling me, not everybody is going to like your book. It doesn't mean that your book isn't good. It just means that for that person, he or she doesn't like it. And, you know, you kind of have to remember that. That's true. And I also heard that it's helpful for an author to have a variety of reviews. So it doesn't look like you're paying everybody to give you five-star reviews, which Amazon frowns on. Well, exactly. And, and you know, not everybody is going to like it. I, <laughs> the one review that I, I like to say it was a pat on the back and a slap in the face. The first part was I wish she said, um, I really didn't like this book. I didn't like the plot. I didn't like the characters. And I thought, oh, good. And then she said, but I like the way this author writes, so I probably won't write any, read any more of this series, but I'll keep my eyes peeled for anything else she writes. And it was like, well, you know, that's not bad, actually. <laughs> yes, yes, I think that's kind of funny and amazing. Well, yeah, <laughs> it's like, I didn't like this, I didn't like this, I didn't like this, but, you know, so so that's been my worst experience so far. But, it, but again, it was like, well, that's not hundred percent bad. At least she likes the way I write. Right. No, you do write really well. And so as a 
another segue. What is next for Annie Collins and the Annie Collins mystery series? And how many more books do you think? Well, there is there will definitely be a third one to carry her and the angel further along. And I'm in a funny place right now. I actually told people that when they read the third book, then I want some feedback about whether people want more from this bunch of characters or whether they're done with it. Because it could be could be a stopping point if people are like, okay, we're done. This was good. I've enjoyed it. We're done. Let's move on to something else. If they want more, there is more. There are ideas for two more two more possible stories after the third one comes out. But again, it's I changed the ending of the third book significantly, and that's that's what's causing the well, maybe this is the end kind of thing. Oh, you already know how the third book ends. Oh yeah, it's with my editor right now. So so we're working away. <laughs> is there a title you can share with our listeners? It's called Dancing with the Devil. Dancing with the Devil, another Annie Collins yep. mystery book. Yep. Talking about your character Angel. Mm-hmm. Uh, the self-defense theme just made me chuckle. Do you have any personal experience with self-defense? I actually, uh, well, for, for No Pity and Death, I actually did several things. I, I went to a couple self-defense classes, which were very interesting, assuming you can remember to do it when you're freaked out. <laughs> and then I went to a, a class at one of the shooting ranges in town called, the class was called Pistols for Ladies. <laughs> oh, my. Don't tell, yeah. me, don't tell me they made you shoot pink pistols. Oh, it was great. They went over, the woman who taught it went over all sorts of handguns and what the advantages and disadvantages of each were. And then she helped you choose a a gun. And then you were, you were taught to, you know, load the bullets in the clip. Mine was a nine millimeter Glock. And so you got to load the bullets in the clip and put the clip in the gun and you, you got to practice shooting it. And I wanted to know, I'm not a gun person. I don't have one and I probably never will, but I wanted to know what it felt like, what it was, what all was involved so that whatever I wrote didn't look silly. And it was actually a very fun class. And it turns out I'm kind of a dead eye dick. My, my little paper, my little paper target, I hit all the spots I was supposed to. And so it's like, okay, well, that's good to know. <laughs> exciting and empowering and also a little scary and I think well it is it is yeah you bring it all up in in character yeah (laughs) but I I wanted to know and and happened to find this class and it like I said it was a lot of fun I it it has not convinced me to get a gun I'm like I said I'm not a gun person but I think you have to know these things you can't just make stuff up I agree research is important you want your reader to believe what you're what you're writing and, and not throw the book at the wall and say, oh, that's not how it would happen. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and I've had, you know, I've had to talk to a pain management specialist, a nurse. Um, she was very helpful. Um, I've got an ER doc on tap who's a friend of my cousin's and the poor man. <laughs> Periodic go, Ron, I'm going to send you some stuff. Just tell me how far off base I am, you know, and then we go back and forth and you know, it's, I'm usually not too far off base on the medical stuff, but, you know, I've never worked in an ER and I'm obviously not an ER doc. So 
but that's been fun. So I think that's the other thing that's most fun about writing books is the people you get to know, sometimes out of necessity and sometimes out of just good fortune. But well, your, your writing definitely rings true. So we mentioned CIPA, C-I-P-A, Colorado Independent Publishers Association, uh-huh. which is where we met. And yes. uh, it's a tremendous organization. It's great for networking. It's great for finding resources. I would highly recommend any authors. And you don't have to live in Colorado to be a member. And they have an amazing yearly award called the Ebby Awards, which mm-hmm. is your books too. And yep. uh, we both have done that with amazing results. And you also mentioned the upcoming Georgetown Fair that our yes. friend Jerry Fabianic is highly involved in. And you, you will be there, correct? I will be there, yes, both weekends. I just love Jerry. I've joked that he's like the Energizer Bunny. He's got a gazillion things going all the time. And he's so fired up, and, and he's, uh, he does a great job with the Bighorn Book Nook. It's, it's a lot of fun. So this happens in the Georgetown Heritage Center, and will yes. you be there both days? It runs the weekend of the 1st of December and the 8th of December. Yes, I will be there the both days on the first weekend, so it's the first and second, I think, and then I will be there on the 8th, I believe. Okay. So, um, yeah, so it was a lot of fun last year. Got to talk to a lot of people as they as they came through, and it's a fun building. It used to be the school up there, and they've restored it very well. And it's a lot of a lot of history there. Awesome. I will be there on the 2nd and the 9th, both Sundays with those weekends. So I will see you then there. Looking forward to that. And then you've already told our listeners and viewers how they can find you. I will post links to that on my website. And if you want to send me a couple pictures of you, maybe a picture of you in in your nurse's outfit or your (laughs) special. Okay. (laughs) I will do that. I'll put that up there too. Uh, Helen, do you eat toast in the morning ever? I like English muffins. What do you spread on your English muffins? If it's not just butter, then it's um, peanut butter and honey. Peanut butter and honey. Oh, that sounds good. It is good. Well, thank you so much for joining me on alligator preserves, which I would not recommend you spreading on your English muffin (laughs) or your toast. (laughs) And uh, best of luck to you. Congratulations on your awards. And I will see you soon. Great. Thank you, Laurel. I appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you, Helen. Uh-huh. You can find today's show notes with links and photos on my website at ledvillaurel.com. You may email me at laurel at strackpress.com and do follow me on Twitter at ledvillaurel. If you enjoyed this and other episodes, please subscribe to Alligator Preserves on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts to keep up with my latest episodes and tell your friends about it. I hope you'll help support Alligator Preserves on Patreon. Check out the rewards you'll receive at patreon.com slash alligatorpreserves. And join me next time when I'll talk about something completely different. Please check out Helen's Starbucks novels and follow her to find out what's coming up next. And do join us at the Georgetown Christmas Fair again this year. The Bighorn Book Nook will will be putting it on at the Georgetown Heritage Center the first two weekends in December. I will have more information about that and links. So remember, it's never too late to buy books for those who still love to read. Until next time, be good to yourself. Alligator Preserves is hosted and produced by Laurel McCard 
with technical support provided by her husband, Mike McCard. Follow her on her website at leadvillelaurel.com, where she writes about life, real, and imagined. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy her books. Find her work at amazon.com.